<laughs> hey, Ben, are you sure that you're not gay? <clears throat> hey, I'm here. I'm queer. Get used to it. Hello, and welcome to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast in which we watch a romantic comedy featuring a love triangle or quadrangle or like Pentagon. I don't know. There was a lot of family stuff going on in this week's choice and tell you why whoever, whichever party had to do the choosing made the wrong choice. I'm Jennifer. I'm Samantha. And I'm Sadie. And we have a very special guest this week, but before we get to the movie, we have an announcement. We have we have sold out officially. We have a <laughs> Patreon. Is that how you say it? This is like standing and stunning for me. I don't know how a you Patreone? pronounce the name of this website. A Patronus. We have a Patronus. But seriously, Sadie, how do you pronounce it? It's Patreon. Yeah. Ethan Hawke yeah. is glaring at us somewhere. We wouldn't have to had to have started the Patreon if we hadn't foolishly refused the offer of a BMW at the start of the podcast that we could have sold and used to fund it um but here we are if we would have just robbed our fathers for gas money deep so um why are we doing this to be frank uh we have all run out of free trials for the streaming services that the rom-coms are on and we don't have money but we like to do the podcast so so you can cut you can see the conundrum we have found ourselves in (laughs) we are not hoping to get fabulously rich but we know a fair number of you are out there listening to this if in fact if you were to add up fun fact co-host if you were to add up all the time people have spent listening to our podcast since it started it would cover 270 days of human time you could have started listening to this 270 days ago and that's that's how much time people have collectively spent listening to us jabber about rom-coms which is staggering i open like damn y'all we love you too alarming and if a small number of you (laughs) chipped us a few dollars a month we would all be able to afford our streaming services and the occasional movie rental and maybe even you know a coffee or a cocktail or two um you can find it on patreon.com slash y-s-s-t-o-g sorry good work samantha Uh, that was perfect. But I'm terrible at the acronym. And also it may, <laughs> when I try to think of it as two words, it becomes a disgusting face. <laughs> Yeastog. Yeastog. Oh, uh, oh, no. So find us on patreon.com slash yeasthog. Um, <laughs> Even $1 a month is appreciated, but Sadie has more details on like what sorts of goodies we're trying to use to incentivize you to, to fund our little venture. Yes. So um, at, the, at the base tier, the $5 a month, it's our Rob Reiner tier, um, an excellent tier. And <laughs> there you have access to our Discord server that we just started. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we'll do shout outs by first name at the end of every podcast and also our eternal gratitude. Um, <laughs> and then, which is very valuable. I'm sure. Yes. Um, <laughs> Worth more than $5 a month, As surely. <laughs> An eternity of thankfulness. Wow. <laughs> and then at the second tier, the Nancy Myers tier, 
$10 a month. So you get everything from the previous tier, plus a monthly newsletter with my yours truly my rom com playlist for the month, where I break down each song why I added them. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And you'll get to listen to the songs. And then at the very top, we have our Nora Ephron tier, which is $20 a month. And it includes everything from the previous tiers. Plus, you get to add a movie per month to the suggestions pile that we randomly select a movie from each month. So I was um, setting up the Patreon, I'm still gonna be kind of tweaking it and making sure that everything works properly. Because in some ways, I am a Luddite from (laughs) You've Got Mail. So I was having some (laughs) some second guessing. But yes, I'm very excited. I had a lot of fun putting it together. I'm going to have so much fun with these playlists. So I hope that you guys are as excited as I am. (sighs) Anything else we want to add about it? Please come keep us company in the Patreon (laughs) or in the Discord server. Um, and yeah, you know, as, as I stated before, this, this will not, I think, make up a huge chunk of any of our personal revenue streams, but it allows us to keep doing it. And we don't want to put ads on the show and we don't want to like wall any content away. So just be nice and send us a little bit of money as a treat. Your favorite (laughs) podcasters can have, can have $5 or more. As a treat. Just as a snack, please. (laughs) Um, and and with that, uh, Sadie, as I sorry to impose on you twice so early in the podcast. I know I ask so much of you. It's true. Could you introduce our very special guest and we'll get started? Of course. I'm so honored to introduce her. She has um, been on the podcast once before uh, when we did our Always Be My Maybe episode. Uh, Kayla Myers, she's a programmer at Indie Memphis. She's one of my dearest friends. She's also a senior producer at Dockyard, which is wonderful and amazing. Um, And she also happens to be the resident expert of this week's movie, which is The Family Stone. Kayla, I'm so happy to have you on again. Yeah, I'm I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for asking me to be a part. Um, I thought probably way too deeply about this movie. So I'm really excited to talk about it with you all. Perfect. I'm so happy you brought it on. And I promise I want to get to your your take on the movie as quickly as possible. So I'm going to keep... Oh, all right. We're... <laughs> Sorry. That was my random phone alarm. I apologize. <laughs> no, I, I thought you were just setting the mood for my, for my impromptu um, musical number about the family stone. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's my like birth control alarm. I forgot to turn it off. We're all good. Well, take the birth control. Kayla, <laughs> that's the that was the best thing, thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> I was sitting here panicking, thinking like, okay, now I have to sing the Family Stone summary. I can't, I can't do read it. it. Do it in the character of, um, oh, what's his name? The Wilson brother who's in this, Samantha. Luke. <laughs> okay, Luke. Uh, yes, I will Owen not. Is Although lately, much to Corey's chagrin, I have been doing terrible white person <laughs> raps summarizing the movies that we watch over the end credit <laughs> of the movies, and they are bad. And um, I will. And we need I will them. Never do them again. <laughs> the highest 
tier of the Patreon. They all start with, uh, you know, my name is Samantha and I'm here to say. So just to give you an idea of the level of cringe <laughs> involved. <laughs> anyway, the family stone. Uh, meet the Stones. They're a ragtag liberal family living in a middle-class house in Connecticut. We've got Diane Keaton playing Sybil, caretaker of the eponymous Family Stone, aka her mother's wedding ring. We've got Craig T. Nelson playing Kelly, her husband and an emotional dad who still sometimes slams a table just to let you know that he can cry, but he's still a man, damn it. Together, they're dealing with the fact that Sybil's breast cancer has returned after a double mastectomy, and this is all but certain to be their last Christmas together, sadly. And then we've got some kids who are all coming home from Christmas. Uh, Rachel McAdams playing the layabout NPR listening girl with the beat up car who still brings her laundry home, aka present day me. Um, we've got <laughs> Luke Wilson playing the chillaxing himbo with a heart of gold. Also bringing his laundry home. Yes. <laughs> We have Elizabeth Reeser as the sole non-laundry bringer homer. And Jennifer, did you say that this was Esme from Twilight? Yeah. It is. That's what okay, I was trying I to place her. For, and then I was like, oh my God, it's the vampire mom from Twilight, but without weird contact. She is here playing a mom named Susanna, a much less creepy character than Esme. And her whole deal is that she's pregnant again. Really, this isn't me reducing her character to that. Like that's all the movie gives her to do is like be pregnant and quietly watch Christmas movies by yourself. Um, and then we've got Thad, who is married to Patrick, and who is sweet and gay and the only deaf child in a hearing family. And last but certainly not least, it's our old friend, everybody. It's Dermot Mulroney <laughs> as Everett, the oldest son with the so-called perfect life, bringing home his uptight conservative girlfriend, Carrie Bradshaw. Um, so this is a rambling family melodrama, all of the plot points of which I'm not going to fully hit. But the central conceit is that Dermot wants Diane Keaton to give him the ring so that he can propose to Carrie Bradshaw. But she doesn't want to because she is uh, because Carrie Bradshaw is like anal and doesn't gel with their two school too cool for the university they live next to energy. Carrie Bradshaw summons her globe-trotting grant-reading sister, Claire Danes, to be backup at the family Christmas. But then it goes south anyway because Carrie manages to be manages to be both racist and homophobic over the course of Christmas Eve dinner in a very cringe-inducing and embarrassing way that has since become this movie's most famous and retweeted scene. But everyone gets their own little plots too. Rachel McAdams is being pursued by season one of Parks and Recreation love interest Paul Schneider. <laughs> Thad and Patrick are adopting a baby. Diane Keaton is dying. And then there's Luke Wilson and Dermot, uh, who sort of realize over the course of the film that they would be better off swapping sisters. So Dermot realizes he'd be better off with Claire Danes. And Luke Wilson both thinks that Carrie is hot and seems to take a special kind of delight in helping her unwind. So all of that comes to fruition over the course of several scenes where everybody cries and sometimes they shout. And then by the following Christmas, Amy and Paul Schneider are together, Dermot and and Claire Danes, whose character name is Julie, are together. 
and Luke Wilson and Carrie Bradshaw, who is actually Meredith, Jessica, Sarah Jessica Parker, are together. And there's some new babies. And Sybil is living on in the form of a Christmas ornament. And that's the family stone. So Kayla, tell us, I, I suppose we approached you about bringing this movie on, but tell us why you love this movie so much. Yeah. I, or do you I was, love it? I, I think I love it. I have a very, I'm fascinated by it. I think you know, objectively, it's maybe not the best movie of all time. But I think that it does some really interesting things in regards to family. And it made me think about I thought the reason I ended up rewatching it recently and tweeted about it um, was because watching Happiest Season reminded me of the Family Stone because there's just so much messy holiday aspects to it. And I think that it really hits at some of the things that like at the end of the year, you're thinking about the people you love, whether or not they're your family or not, and your connection to them. And in rewatching it recently, I just found myself really struck by like how it manages to have this sense of heart regard even though it is like a little wacky and there's some plot points that I'm like now as an adult I'm a little bit like mm, did she need to end up with Mark Brandanowitz like did she need did that need to happen um yeah. and is she you know so I think that that's part of what I find really interesting about it is like Diane Keaton as this sort of heart for everyone and sort of how they each have different moments with her throughout the film um that ends up being the most interesting part to me I think when I was younger, because this is one of those movies that I kind of like, I have like movies that I realized I watched as a kid because I, when I was much younger, I was able to just stumble upon stuff on cable and watch it. I feel like I have less of that ability now, but it's one of those movies that played on HBO a lot. And I watched it so much that it became like one of my favorite holiday movies. And then watching it now as an adult, I still think it very much is my favorite, even though the things that I think I found find interesting about it now were totally different. I think I was very enamored by like Luke Wilson when I watched it as a kid because he had been in like Legally Blonde and another thing where he just kind of does his whole dopey kind of look. But I think the Diane Keaton element and the fact that I think Rachel McAdams in this movie is very much a queer woman are the two things when I was thinking about coming on this podcast, I wanted us to talk about. I wanted to hear you all sort of what kind of things you all found most interesting. Um, you mentioned that dinner scene that I still can't focus on. Like I cannot watch it without looking yeah. away for a moment. <laughs> because it makes me want to crawl out of my own body. Yeah. So yeah, those are the things that I was kind of thinking about, um, especially because the happiest season made me think of it and how that movie doesn't totally work for me. But there are ways that the family stone does work for me that I think happiest season could have leaned more into in regards to just having like someone who's oh, yeah. the heart of the film because that movie doesn't really have one, but you have Diane Keaton in the family stone. So those are things that kind of kind of make me excited about this movie even though it on on the surface of it it maybe is not as worth this much investigation but i think it's interesting this was my first viewing of the family stone um my roommate forced me to watch it and i'd always been really apprehensive about it because i don't particularly like several of the actors and actresses in the movie um but i was really struck by how it was marketed as as a rom-com and i would call it a rom-com in overall, but it had so much more drama and it was so like 
very cringy, you know, like on purpose, you know, I mean, the the dialogue, some of the scenes were so hard to watch, because it's like, this is kind of what it's like to be at a family function, and someone says something really awful. And then they're just like, going full on with it. And then everyone else is like watching like a it's like a car crash happening in slow motion. And so I found myself really compelled and actually wondering how things were going to end up, which is not always the case with rom-coms, you know, like most of the time you can kind of guess immediately how things are going to end up. And that doesn't necessarily make a rom-com bad, but this I was truly the whole time I was like, so is she going to end up with that brother? What's like, what's going to happen? Is Diane Keaton really going to die at the end? Or is she going to have this miraculous recovery? Like, you know, is Amy going to be a lesbian? Um, so I was at the edge of my I seat wish. the whole time. Spoiler alert. Yeah, she's yes. not. Yeah. But five years later. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Amy deserved better. Much better than Mark Brandanaquitz. <laughs> but Sadie, uh, sorry, I, I interrupted you midstream to confirm that Amy will get divorced from Mark Brandanowitz. I, I didn't want to take you off course. No, I was I was gonna say like I was just really fascinated by this rom-com in a way that I by this movie in a way that I didn't really think I was going to and I remember um texting Kayla a while ago and she mentioned the family stone and I went on my my long tirade about how Luke Wilson has been getting away with it for far too long and and he has to be stopped and that's why I refuse to watch the family stone um but I was really intrigued by you know I Kayla's wonderful and has the best taste so I was like if she enjoys it then surely it's good and then my roommate really likes it and so I finally broke down and I watched it and I was pleasantly surprised but um I'm interested to see what Samantha and Jen have to say. Jen, was this your first family stone viewing? It absolutely was my first stone family viewing, Samantha. (laughs) Yes, it was. (laughs) And what did you make of it, pray tell, Jennifer? Well, as I texted Sadie the other day, I was working on making some gifts for my new infant nephews while I was watching it the first time. And then I was working on some gifts for other people today that I shall not say, though they dare not listen to this podcast or I will excommunicate them if I find out they have been. But no, and I think that at first I was like, well, did that give me a more warm and fuzzy feeling when I watched it than I would have experienced otherwise? And I think definitely yes on the first watch. However, this is like maybe the only movie that I watched twice before we did the podcast on it. So I guess that in and of itself is a recommendation. Um, I just looked up to see when this movie came out because there is, it's a little bit hard to tell uh, that, that dreadful just painful dinner conversation that we have referenced that I really wanted to skip the second time, but I forced myself to watch again because I knew we were about to talk about it. Um, Yeah, that seems to be the most dated part of it to me. So apparently this came out on today in 2005, December 16th. What? We're doing the (laughs) 15th. (laughs) This was not foreordained or pre-planned in any way, but now welcome to our 15th the anniversary episode of <laughs> <laughs> you the should see the stone. other guy yes <laughs> 
it was fated to be. It's a Christmas miracle, everybody. <laughs> yeah. So this is nuts. I, so I had barely turned 20 when this first came out and would have had a very different viewpoint about it then. And um, seeing it now, I still got, we'll, we'll get to this. I still am really weirded out by how much like semi-incestual stuff is like such a trope in romances and the like sibling swapping that goes on here, I think is really weird. And I understand that there's like a limited amount of characters and what are you going to do? But I do think um, like Kayla said that Diane Keaton is such the heart of this and the heart of this movie. And I think that it nailed sort of finding how, how something achieves universality through the specificity of this family's interactions that it, even though there was so much discomfort and so much, it did kind of like nail a feeling of dealing with in-laws and introductions and a large family holiday gathering when fraught stuff is happening for everybody individually, but nobody wants to burden everybody else with that. And then it kind of explodes in weird ways. And just the most awkward things happen with families. at gatherings and this movie kind of gave it to us but in a way that did even as upset as we are about the horrible Mark Brandanowitz turn that Rachel McAdams did not deserve I would say other than that like everything felt fairly nicely wrapped off with a bow at the end I really liked the movie except Jen I agree with you by the end some of the like wrapping things off with the bow and how sentimental it got at the end sort of like you know it was starting to lose me but it started off in pretty good territory for me what I like about this is like it's an oddies movie that doesn't feel like an oddies movie it feels Mm -hmm. like it could be a 90s indie melodrama you know like characters are actually talking to each other things are happening for context the the, the Ryan Reynolds rom-com Just Friends came out like three weeks before this so for there to be like detailed (laughs) discussions about like homophobia and like and like race and like ability in this is like a kind of amazing for 2005 I think um and yeah I just I guess what I liked about it was one it gave me Luke Wilson saying I'm here I'm queer get used to it (laughs) which will definitely be the little audio snippet that I play before the theme song on this episode it's not often that I know them this far in advance uh and yeah, I, I kind of like how slow and rambling it was. It really captured that feeling of just like going home for Christmas with your adult siblings, which as the youngest, I'm I'm a 33-year-old youngest. So like this movie is like, you know, hitting some buttons for me in terms of like everybody going back to the homestead and some personality clashes. And obviously our antics aren't as zany as the Stone families, but it nails oh, that, that feeling. <laughs> Sharon, I'm contacting you immediately after this podcast to uh, confirm, to rat out Samantha for all the details on this. But I think by the end, it just like the too many of the scenes by the end just turn into characters like not having that much dialogue, but like bursting into tears. Like I'm thinking particularly of like Craig T. Nelson coming home and seeing Susanna watching a movie and like they could have given us a little scene. I was there. I would watch three hours of this movie if you like wrote the dialogue well enough but instead Craig T. Nelson is just like good night 
my Susanna. And then they just like cry at each other for <laughs> well, like five again, minutes. Samantha, a classic case of a movie that should have been a miniseries. Mm, th- this is probably going to get remade as some terrible miniseries. Oh, and no. as with many older, uh, you know, I use that term relatively, movies that I like, I can't help but think about like, in this, the age of Emily in Paris, like how this movie would have been made in 2020. <laughs> oh, like no. it, it probably oh. would have been told from like Carrie Bradshaw's perspective and like the family would have been like the the crazy villains and yeah and I I time stamped it the moment that we get it set up that like the whole premise of the movie is going to be Dermot trying to get the ring from Diane Keaton it's like a half hour into the movie you know and like people these days just don't have that kind of attention span or or timing it would have had to start out with a montage like from Dermot's perspective describing why he wants this ring within the first like 60 seconds or else you know people would have turned it off I yeah I had a generally pleasant time with it I've got to say I appreciated now in a way that I absolutely would not have in 2005 um sort of the grace that was given to Carrie Bradshaw's character here that she has the worst lines like she is the 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 absolutely the villain of that dinner scene but this one like this woman has like at least an anxiety disorder for which she needs to be medicated like she is not rolling in on a normal you know hey everybody here I am platform here like so Everybody, uh, it, like, yeah, I, I guess I appreciated how much characterization, I would say, this movie allowed everybody. After Sadie and Samantha have fought to the death, or will, when we get to meet in person once the pandemic is over, over You've Got Mail versus The Holiday, whereas both of those, I felt, had very, had had dialogue, but had very broad strokes of characters. Every character in this movie did feel like a whole person who existed outside of their interactions within this movie. I agree, um, especially when thinking about like the point and rewatching it today, because I rewatched it before and you all saw my tweets about it, but I rewatched it again today to make it fresher in my mind. And I feel like the point in which I enjoy the movie slightly less, even though I enjoy the whole thing, is once after it's like after the dinner scene that's like a turning point for me where things like slowly start to you know they're starting to do the whole wrap-ups of things and the like incestuous things start happening I think that's the (laughs) point in which I'm like oh the like beauty of the writing just kind of slips a little bit for me because you have all those scenes before like when Luke Wilson and Craig T. Nelson or Ben and Kelly as their characters are in the movie have that scene where they're getting pot and he just asks like is it is it back is it coming back like is her cancer back again um and it's just like it's like when I was younger having that realization like oh she's sick like that is done so well and done so like subtly in a way that doesn't really match in like that second half after the you know the odyssey of the night essentially um and i think it's it's really the thing that i think is really smart about the movie is that it does allow those moments of like connection with each of the kids with either dan keaton or with their dad and like even though that Susanna moment is kind of like hokey she's like watching meet me in st louis which is like a very you know another christmas movie that has a lot of significance and like judy garland is singing um and i think that's something that i think it does really well that always elevates it for me because those are the scenes that I think about the most as much as you know there I 
I think at one point we should talk about which romance we feel like works better. Um, I have a thought um, in <laughs> regards to the incestuous romances that happen. Um, I also have a thought that I texted Sadie earlier um, about if I rewrote this movie today, who I would pair oh, together. I can't wait but, to hear. Um, I think that's something that really sticks out to me, especially in that first that first half before we have the turning point, is that this the writer of this film like very clearly had a knack for, like you said, characterization and doing a good job of making these siblings feel distinct um like right from the get-go and they're not just like even though Susanna does kind of get shifted she doesn't really have the same sort of power that Rachel McAdams has as Amy like even though Amy towards the second half doesn't really get to you know be as mean but she's mean and she has a spirit and it's very clear that she has a very particular identity um and I think that's something that if this was made now that would have been much murkier I think sometimes some things especially now forget that that aspect of like what are the little things that make people interesting and worth watching and not just the like like Thad is is a particular character not just because he's deaf but like he's funny and like very clearly has um these distinct relationships with his siblings because the writer has taken the time to sort of mold at least most of them out yeah and i read that the actors actually like spent a lot of time together before filming in like an attempt to like really get to know each other so that they could make the family feel like real and lived in and to me that definitely paid off not just because of their performances but as you said Kayla like the the writing that I think is stronger in the first half like it's almost a shame that the machinations of the plot start demanding that like we wrap up their arcs you kind of just want to like sit and spend time with them for another hour without having to like you know have the zany rom-com scenarios happen like like that scene you mentioned on the bleachers that was so good and to me part of what that captures is like this way you know we're we're sort of like my family is sort of like the stones in that even though all of us are older and one of us has kids we all still go home for christmas and it really captures the way in which you it's rare that you are actually all together like usually the important conversations around a family holiday in this kind of family are happening when two or three people like branch off and have a conversation that's often how information gets communicated and and you see that each person has a very distinct and different relationship with like every other person they're all this kaleidoscopic like possibilities and and it just felt so good at that and then when we start doing like love rhombus stuff i i kind of like tune out a little bit samantha exactly like jordan baker and the great gatsby like you can't have intimacy unless there's a large party going on you know, where you mm. split off into your own little groups. Yeah. And the the dinner scene is like the one it's reflective of that. And that the dinner scene is like, oh, we are doing this thing together. And that's, that's got to be the biggest writing challenge is like putting them all together. And then everybody splinters off and deals with fallout and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is all so fascinating. I when I was watching this movie, I found it so interesting because I'm an only child. So I always find like movies about siblings and like large family relationships really like I never relate to them, but I always think that they're really fascinating. And like, I found myself really relating most to um, Carrie Bradshaw (laughs) because her (laughs) character, like she, she 
is kind of on the outside. She doesn't really, she's new to this dynamic, you know, and that's kind of always how I feel whenever I go to my own extended family functions, because I am just with my mom and dad. Like those are my, that's my family. And like, we don't really have like this, you know, we're not a large family. And so when I go and visit with my extended family, I feel like I always put my foot in my mouth. And I always feel a little bit like an outsider. And so I've definitely been kind of like that person at the dinner table, I don't really say (laughs) I I probably don't say anything homophobic, because I'm the only queer one. (laughs) But like, you know, I'll say something like that I think is like inconsequential where I'm like, oh, wow, I saw that they were shutting down this one store. And they're like, oh, my God, if you lived in St. Louis, then you would know that that was a travesty, that blah, blah. And then they like, attack me. (laughs) You know, and I just I so I just thought that that was it's just so interesting to me. And I thought that, you know, I can't know that it was done well, but I feel like it felt very accurate. This kind of insular family trying to connect with someone who isn't, you know, who's new or isn't around them all the time. Sadie, this is so funny that you feel like the Meredith in your own family, (laughs) because I feel so assured that if you were suddenly introduced into another family Christmas in sort of a sudden fashion like this, that you would absolutely be the Claire Danes Julie. Uh, Yeah, Mm. I agree. (laughs) Well, I mean, my family's so tiring, but (laughs) they're not quite as fun as the as the stone family the family stone oh i just got that that it's like the family stone referring to the ring but it's also yeah yeah samantha you said that in the summary i didn't realize that until you literally stated it like But like the particular ago. phrasing where you're like the family Collins, right? Like that that's like a way that you sometimes refer to a whole clan. Um, that just hit me just now. Um, and then Ben brings in the pot, which had to be like fucking loud smelling flower back in 2005. Like were good vapes available in wherever these people lived in? I think not. No one knew what a vape was in 2005. <laughs> Also, yeah, the pot and the brownies is probably really bad uh, compared to what's available today, as I understand it. Oh, no. Edibles will destroy you, Samantha. Be really careful with that. (laughs) Thank you for these words (laughs) of caution. For more such wisdom, sign up on our Patreon and hang out with Jen in Discord. Where we'll talk about edibles, but edibles that I only eat when I'm visiting Samantha, who lives in a legal state. For the True. record, um, should we talk about the romances? Should we talk about Dermot? I have plenty more random ephemera to say, but maybe we'll get to it after or as we talk about the love rhombus. I'm so well, excited. Uh, hang on, guys. Should we should we hit Dermot first, or should we hit Ben first? What Kayla, you make the call here. I want to hit Ben first because I know Sadie's aversion to the Wilson brothers. And so <laughs> let's just start there. <laughs> Sadie, you're averse to them. I thought when you said like Luke Wilson has been getting away with it for too long. That was like Zoomer speak for like, he's been dangerously hot for like so long. Oh, no. Everyone no. ever stopping he's been, them. He's been getting away with his crimes for too long. <laughs> 
what's I, wrong with Luke Wilson? Well, uh, as Kayla knows, I just, well, I really don't like Owen Wilson. And I feel like we as a society kind of what? all agree that Owen Wilson is tiring <laughs> and annoying. But Luke Wilson has really similar mannerisms and the way that he speaks reminds me of Owen Wilson and yet no one has a problem with him. And I'm not saying that he's a bad person. I'm not saying he's the worst person. He's kind of hot in this movie. But I don't know. I've yet to find my peace with Luke Wilson the way everyone else has. (laughs) Jen, do you feel (laughs) affronted as, as a fellow millennial who grew up with the Wilson brothers? Jen, Jen, Jen is so offended that she's refusing to speak with us. That's how I'm choosing to interpret Jen's silence. What? I think I oh speak my god! On. How do you guys catch me every time I step away? I'm always there on mute, listening to you like faithfully until the one instant I do step away. And then last time, you guys thought that I had died and I got all these dire texts from Sadie and I was just trying to pee and then I came back. (laughs) You don't say anything in the chat. You just leave for like five minutes. (laughs) You just slink away like a sick cat. (laughs) This was not a five minute absence, y'all. This was like 30 seconds max. I was so fast. (laughs) We have extreme attachment anxiety. Well, you can't leave us I love alone you. for that long. I will tell you if I'm like going to die, okay? I promise I will inform you first. <laughs> What's tell your us opinion? in the Discord. <laughs> <laughs> What's my opinion about what? I just came back to hear the Wilson brothers. Oh, the Wil <sighs> Sadie is slandering the Wilson brothers and I want millennial backup. Okay. Owen kind of irritates me. He really does that's probably mostly due to the wedding crashers i think yeah which i barely even remember but that's i think where i imprinted most on him luke i've always liked like Mm -hmm. yeah he just seems pleasant and like you could hang out with him and he would know where to find the weed so there you go um oh by the way they do have another brother right i was wondering why i mentioned to my partner tonight before he went out to walk the dogs and was like oh why are they called the wilson brothers instead of the because he was confused because he thought that owen and luke were the same person with different dye jobs but i informed him that no They are different people. But they have another brother called Andrew that, honestly, I do not wish to besmirch him here, which I might be. He seems much taller than them. And I was like, my God, it's like the Sasquatch Wilson brother, which is probably not a very fair thing to say. He wears sunglasses in many of his photos. Jen, I thought you were talking about the family stone having another brother. (laughs) And I was like, wait, did I like pass out during part of this movie? (laughs) No, we're just talking about the Wilson brothers now, I thought. Sorry, guys. Oh, he was in Whip It. That, the oldest Wilson brother was in Whip It. That's what I recognize him from. I was like, who Damn. is this man? That's Damn. the most Whip notable it? role. The Wilson brother who lived in the woods. I'm mishearing like, everything <laughs> now because I heard Whip It, and I thought, when was there a movie about the dog breed Whip It? <laughs> I look at the, the rollerblading movie with Elliot yes. Page. The Elliot Page classic. Um, it's roller skating. So get it right, Kayla. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say bla- I don't skate. I forget these things. Sorry, skating. Kayla, do roller you derby, share? to be more specific. <laughs> 
Kayla, do you share Sadie's Wilson aversion? I actually don't. I was very shocked to hear this when she shared it. I mean, Owen, I, I understand the annoyance towards him. I never really meh. Um, Luke, though, I feel like because I watched like Legally Bond was such a pivotal thing for me. Legally Bond and then another movie that I can't think of right now that he was also like a romantic interest in that I don't know, he always just seems sort of just like sweet and kind of kind of dopey. I think himbo yeah. is an accurate description for him in a lot of his roles. And especially in this movie, like he does his whole little look at Meredith, like the moment he meets her. Um, and you know, I just feel like he's, he's sweet. He's like inoffensive. And yeah, I, I like admire his way of like getting it like bit in this movie being the sort of way of getting her to loosen up a little bit that whole like arm thing he makes her do. So you know, I'm, I'm of the two couples that end up from this, the two of them are the one that I feel like I believe more oh. than I necessarily do Everett mm, yeah, and Claire. Absolutely. Um, even though this love romp is, it's still, it's still weird. I think I accepted it much more as a young, younger person. Um, and now I'm a little bit like, would I be, but I guess they try to like cop out of it by saying like, you don't love her man. Like you don't love her, which I guess is the like best way of explaining it. But it's still, it's still a little weird, still a little uncomfy. It's still a little, it yeah, it's a little weird to like share genitals with the people that your siblings oh share my genitals God. with. <laughs> <laughs> Just to put it frankly. <laughs> uh, one of the most disgusting things <laughs> ever uttered. Well, you know what? Our- See, I am very close to my little brother. He is like my best friend since he was born. We have always had a lifelong, very close friendship. And so it has always really bothered me to see these plot points in movies because my brother is straight. I am by neither of us would ever touch any sibling. No, 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 yeah. no. That's just a no go. Like that is not something that needs to be yeah. stated. That's a no. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. My brother and I in the same way, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However, ignoring all that, to come back to Kayla's point about the Ben and Carrie Bradshaw moment in this movie, when Sarah Jessica Parker goes over, after he has that little moment with her talking about how she should let her freak flag fly, and she's like, probably drank like two and a half beers, and like, this woman could be blown away on a gust of wind, and so she is probably absolutely wasted beyond all belief when she's like dancing at the jukebox like just in her own world like absolutely not thinking about anybody else looking at her she looked really sexy right then so (laughs) (laughs) i cannot follow you there it is my turn to diverge and say that sarah jessica parker to me has has like anti-charisma that might be so strong that it's the reason why I can watch Sex in the City. You know what I mean? I was trying to figure this out with Corey was like, is she charismatic or not? And I feel like she's Mm. both simultaneously charismatic and so uncharismatic that you can't help but watch her. I think that it's like a self-centered thing, Samantha, that when that's when I found her really sexy for a moment is when she's completely unavailable because she's so inside her own head and her own Mm. world. And I think that Carrie Bradshaw is obviously the most self-centered character ever committed to film. So I don't know. Caleb, somebody smarter say something now. Help us out. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I think I kind of agree. I think it's what makes it's what makes Meredith work. Like I was thinking about this in the context of like this this movie came out the last year of Sex in the City and just thinking about the two how Carrie and Meredith are different in the fact that Carrie doesn't care enough to think about other people. I also watched Sex in the City for the first time this year. So that was an interesting experience. Oh my god, you um, have to come back to guest and just tell us yeah. about that on a my my memory <laughs> of course um my memory of it before was my mom like kicking me out of the room when I was a kid and I could not watch it so it was like nice to be able to watch it as an adult person um but Meredith cares so much that it like makes her nervous as you already talked about and I think that's why I think what you said is makes so much sense I think she kind of oscillates back and forth between like you kind of find her so fascinating and I think part of it is just she has an interesting face also just to to look at and how she sort of emotes and like carries herself physically in this movie makes Meredith work even though like we keep coming back to this dinner scene but even through that dinner scene you still kind of feel for her even though you're like shut up like you're just not helping just stop talking what you're trying to say is gross but like we I kind of see what you're trying to do um and I think it's the only way that you kind of could feel some sort of some empathy some sympathy with her as a character because Sarah Jessica Parker like is is really good at playing people who were (sighs) I don't want to call her unlikable, but she she has some, she's prickly. That's yeah. probably the best word for it. I'm sure that she's a great person um, in real life, but she is deeply unlikable to me in every character that she's ever played. <laughs> um, <but> I, <laughs> Not even in Girls Just Want to Have Fun. I think she's fun in that movie. <laughs> but even, even in Girls Just Want to Have Sandy's like, I'm sure she's great. I hate everything she's ever done. Sadie, even in real life, when she had to save Robert Downey Jr. from like cocaine overdose, I mean, that counts as a character to me because I read about it in People magazine. <laughs> Look, she saved Robert Downey Jr. from a life of addiction, but then she starred in the Glee rendition of Let's Have a Kiki slash Turkey Lurkey Time. So who's to say whether her net contribution to the world comes out positive or not? Because that is maybe the most terrible thing I've ever subjected my eyeballs to, and I do it every Thanksgiving, and I need to stop. <laughs> Have you all seen that Turkey Lurkey Time show? Oh, oh yes. I was watching Glee when that happened. (laughs) I have not. Samantha, you cut me off when I was about to talk about my most traumatically Michelle memory, like last week or the week before or something. And it was absolutely, I didn't even watch Glee, but I watched the Lady Gaga episode. And when um, Idina Menzel is supposed to be playing Leah Michelle's mom and they sing poker face to each other and have to earnestly deliver the bluffing with my muffin line like they're emoting at each other just my soul shriveled up and ran away so <laughs> well now that's on Jenny, you should know that in the turkey lurkey time <laughs> video you can see leah michelle saying the word hunty and no. it is really 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 grating on a soul level like i don't want to samantha i'm not gonna watch it i'm not (laughs) this is gonna i'm gonna like rickroll you with it i know you will (laughs) damn 
join our Discord and get rickrolled by Leah Michelle saying hunty. Yes. Our Discord <laughs> works, will Amanda. just be me posting that at 6.30 in the morning every morning. Jesus. No, Samantha, no. <laughs> um, we've sh- strayed far from God. Oh. Okay, wait, coming back to our subject. Okay, my favorite moment with um, you know, with Carrie Bradshaw. I'm sorry, I keep forgetting her actual actor name because her name is Carrie Bradshaw. With Meredith in the movie <laughs> was when she is like elaborately making this food they're going to have for Christmas breakfast. And she's been working on it all day, trying to re-endear herself to the family after everything has gone so horribly. And she just got informed that her almost fiance is allergic to mushrooms by his mother and sister, which she did not know and is all horrified by because it's mixed in. And then when the brother who she is eventually going to end up with, Luke Wilson, comes back in and says something about the mushrooms and she just completely like, just, I didn't know! Like, (laughs) 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 fucking loses it for that tiny instant and then sucks it right back up. I was like, wow, she really, she like embodies this character. She knows her. <laughs> that was like too good of acting. <laughs> Jen, I wanted to bring this up in a natural way, and I'm glad you've given me an excuse to do it. Although by now it's unnatural because I've said what I've just said. But I I like ahead, to look Samantha. at the the IMDb trivia for the movies we do, and sometimes the IMDb trivia is or like not even really trivia it's just like some weird observations someone wanted to make about the movie and (laughs) this one has been stuck in my head (laughs) since i read it it was patrick was in the kitchen with meredith when she put the strata together he would have seen her put the mushrooms in (laughs) (laughs) he wanted his brother to have an allergic reaction to strata I said, I said the same thing so good. when I watched Family That's Stone. That's how he knows. The first thing I was like, "That's that, how that he knew that they didn't love each other." <laughs> Wait, Sadie, are you the author of that piece of IMDb? <laughs> I literally, I was with Hannah, and I was like, "Look, look, he was there the whole time." <laughs> Telling me he doesn't know, and she did like show him. She was showing him step by step, like the recipe too. When she's like showing him how to whisk, that's my other favorite moment. When she's like, and then you just whisk like this. It's just that it's it's Uh, listen, like he's go as fast as it can. He is he is he is gay, and therefore, if he wants to let a a a straight member of the family die, that's his prerogative. So I I think that is totally fine. But I'm just saying <laughs> be aware. Okay. Wait, y'all. Let's um let's establish really quick. Not even I know I'm always obsessed with the age that the characters are supposed to be in movies, but what the birth order of these people is? Because Amy is clearly established as the youngest. Dermot oldest, right? That's yes. what I yeah. thought, because he's the one who's gonna get the family ring. But then so is Susanna the next oldest? Is this like some the Pavinces from like uh the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe dealio going on? Why didn't Susanna get the ring? I mean <sighs> I was under the impression that Susanna was the eldest, 
gift. But you know how it's like the men in the family get the mm-hmm. ring so that they can give it to their whatever, because, whatever. like, why? Why is Dermot so uh, babied uh-huh. over everybody else when, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Everett has very big oldest child energy like as someone who's an oldest child like because he was like literally going to marry someone he didn't actually love just because it would appease his mom and he's the one who's like the most put together so that to me like indicated that he was the oldest and maybe Susanna and then Ben and then Amy because they're the chillest, so... Yeah. So maybe Everett was the oldest, but he doesn't have, like, full... On- oh, because Susanna's oldest daughter. So she got all of that. <laughs> Whereas Everett got weirdly babied because he's the oldest, but also a son. Like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's that, that kind of vibes. I think the ring passes down through a combination patrilineal, matrilineal line of descent, skipping generations. Um, I want to see like the tome that governs the, (laughs) how the ring passes down through the family stone. Like, you know, I want it to be like an act three discovery of a dusty old book that, uh, that they sit and read okay, that explains okay, okay. what happens But like, egg. look, the ring was Diane Keaton, the mother's mother's ring. And Diane Keaton had the ring. So why did she not give it to Susanna's almost absent husband, but who then did turn up at the end to be all cool and the father of his recently impregnated baby? Why did Susanna not be the custodian of the ring? That's what I'm saying, Jen. I think it goes to Dermot and then Dermot will have to give it to his oldest mm-hmm. daughter. And then oh. Dermot's daughter will have to give it to Ooh. her oldest son. Weaving back to keep in the, the stone name. Their name then, was the Stones, <laughs> Right. They'll We're have to take it to up. Mordor to destroy <laughs> a resurrected Diane Keaton in movie three. Little Elizabeth, Susanna's daughter, will have to take the stone to Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have really not talked about who we think Luke Wilson should have ended up with. <laughs> <laughs> We have gone Damn. all the way to Mordor with that. Well, there it is. It was I, all family here. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I guess he could have ended up with Mark Brendanowitz as an alternative. I, I will say similarly um, to Kayla, I Chaos. liked their relationship the most out of out of all of them. Um, because I thought that they actually took some time to kind of develop, like, you know, they, they hang out a couple times as friends. You, they have the most screen time together besides um, her with, with Dermot. So I was kind of rooting for them to end up together. Um, I was kind of actively rooting against Dermot ending up with Claire Danes. Um. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because the thing is, watching this freshly from 2020 eyes, so fucking obviously, Lil Amy, uh, Rachel McAdams, is queer as hell. And I truly thought, I really believed when Claire Danes did the rom-com pratfall off that bus at the beginning, that sh- that Claire Danes and Rachel McAdams were going to end up together. The Dermot thing was out of the, so outside of my, I was like, what, what, really? Like, 
Okay. We're, so we're just supposed to believe this because of like Dermot's face right now? Because that didn't make any sense. Yeah. It, it was just, and the whole time Claire Danes doesn't seem particularly into him. Like she is really just wanting to get in, get out kind of thing. And so it's almost yeah. shocking to me at the end when the bus stops and she and they and they reunite because it doesn't it truly doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> like girl get out. <sighs> like both the way she and Rachel McAdams were introduced. Rachel McAdams didn't fall out of her car, but the entrances were so lined up. I think that if this movie had been made exactly the same, but now obviously they would be the ones together. And Dermot, his Everett, his thing would have been to go actually find himself. You know, he needs to know himself before he can have love. I would have liked the Rachel McAdams, Claire Danes pairing as like, you know, obviously I want to see queer on screen representation, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, I would have liked it though as a surprise twist at the end where we see Dermot pining after Claire Danes and Claire Danes just being like, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then at the end, we find out the reason why she can't is because <laughs> she, closes she and the Rachel door. McAdams. Rachel McAdams is like, in her bed. <laughs> Yeah. in the basement together the whole time uh, eat that yeah, happiest no. season it kind of seems like Dermot and I will note that Kayla is the only person so far to refer to him by his character's name so far on the podcast it just seems like he's using her as like a funnel for like feeling things. And I admire some of the things that he wants to feel, but he doesn't need a whole human person to feel them through. Like I really liked this one line where he's walking with her on the, the night odyssey, where he says something like, I want to see that totem pole. I want to see the thing that was like a hole in the center of the guy, the thing that he had to make so he could sleep or something like that. I thought yes. that was like a really beautiful way to talk yes. about the creative process and art. And like, he clearly is not living the kind of life where he's seeing and feeling and interacting with those things. And it's like, it kind of feels like she just unlocks something for him in a way where it's like, you don't need a relationship with this person to do it. And I will get personal for a second. It sort of reminds me of when you are an openly trans person, you can sometimes meet people who barely know you who then like project all sorts of stuff onto you and want to attach onto you mostly because like you seem to like they perceive you as having like radically changed your life in a way that betters your own happiness that they like glom onto and like want to like Mario Kart like uh what do you call it in Mario Kart <laughs> when you ride behind somebody and, I'm not like, a gamer gives you a little when you're like boost. a dolphin and you drift in the <laughs> there's a technical term for it it's like it, is it drafting uh, yeah I think when dolphins do it it is right yeah so it's it's kind of like that I kind of feel like Dermot wants to wants to Mario Kart draft uh, Claire Danes to like boomerang himself into the life he actually wants instead mm. of like actually being with her. Oh no. Samantha, sidebar, we will discuss on our Discord later. Is the reason that you and I so fast formed an immediate friendship besides having played a chapter of Resident 
Resident Evil 6 together and just super bonded over it in a day. But having both been Manic Pixie Dream Girl before and we just were uh, yeah, like, in a, but we're both real people. <laughs> in a way that we were both over and just like wanted to like <laughs> hang out with another human being and just be like, hey, hey. How's it You're going? Real. I'm real. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Let's drink some sparkling water and play Resident Evil 6. Uh, yes. <laughs> Ideal day. Damn. Um, God. Sorry, we keep going so far off the track. Okay, whatever. Well, we've Dermot, established the queer history. pairings. I, I and I want to go circle back and see how we feel about Mark Brandanowitz and um and get out. <laughs> He didn't belong in Parks and Rec. He doesn't belong here either. Get away, Mark. Everybody has such weird aversions. Why don't you like Paul Schneider? Oh, well, okay. I saw Parks and Rec at the exact right time that I was working a university job like on the same campus that people working city jobs were. And I was friends with my coworkers. And like the Parks and Rec vibe was very strong, you know, is when Parks and Rec came on the air and came into my life and like fuck Mark Brandanowitz. He's the one who brings everybody down and then he just leaves and that's what he did and he can just carry on with leaving and never being seen again. Because he's a real fucking person unlike the <laughs> cartoon characters on the rest of that show. God yeah, damn fuck it. him. <laughs> no. I need I need Paul Schneider back up. Kayla can you help me? Or are you are you? I, I just feel I feel like I feel fairly ambivalent about him And you bringing him up just made me look at his um, filmography. And I think the one time I have really enjoyed his presence is in Bright Star. I don't know if you all have seen that movie. Um, I have not. About like Keats. Keats and his whole romance with this woman. It's a very solid movie. It's directed. I can't remember exactly who it's directed by, but it's really solid. But yeah, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I feel bad for him because Parks and Rec has kind of tainted any sort of thing for me that I may kind of enjoy him in. I don't dislike him, but I don't feel particularly like drawn to him as an actor. And I think my my whole annoyance with the fact that they end up together just watching it recently is just the fact that it's so like she's so she has so much energy and she's so mean in this fun way that I feel like why would she be with this man? Like what is no offense to his very honorable profession as like an EMT and he seems nice, but what is the draw besides that that makes him a worthy companion and i and i just i just feel like if we if we had more time we could like maybe see that but i i don't think i don't think it's worth it um yeah i do want to say my favorite other little line reading in this movie is when in the one moment that i was like oh what if meredith this is this is out there but what if meredith and amy had a thing because Mm -hmm. that moment when when Rachel McAdams is like, um, uh, when Sarah Jessica Parker is like, I, I don't care. I don't need you to like me. I don't care what you think. Or I, I don't need that. And she's like, oh, but you do. She does that like head tilt and she has the mug in her hand and she has the glasses on. Yeah, She tilts her head. So and that's when it's solidified for me. I was like, this woman is not straight. Like why? <laughs> There's no way. Why are we pretending she is? She is not. No, no way at all. I mean, yeah. it would have been such no a good zero woman can like, give that sass. Enemies to lovers romance. I could see it. 
if we're gonna go like the Meredith ends up with a sibling route. Yes. True. Yeah. I was thinking, one, I love Rachel McAdams character, but I was thinking about like how she was meant to be perceived and how maybe I would have even perceived her like when I was a child of like, oh, look at this character well into her 20s or maybe early 30s having this like extended adolescence. Her car is really old. She doesn't even do laundry at home. Uh, she's just like a liberal tote bag carrying uh, kind of like girl schlepping around sh- trying to make her way through the world. And and then I watched this like as an older person driving a car with 160,000 miles on it with a big dent in the side. And like, you know, I haven't <laughs> seen my parents because of COVID, but I sure as hell would bring my laundry home <laughs> if I could. And I was like, I have become this person that was meant at a time to symbolize someone who hadn't like fully grown up yet um but i'll blame that on a combination of personal factors and also widening income inequality and socioeconomic disaster so not to get too grim but she's great and that gif of her with the mug is iconic but i cannot buy carrie bradshaw sarah jessica parker as a queer character in any universe or dimension of the universe (laughs) parallel or otherwise she was a very straight woman central casting made a mistake casting rachel mcadams like the like blazingly hottest person in this movie like besides diane keaton as the main character because that immediately made us all like oh sure yeah okay whatever you say i don't give a fuck you're bringing your laundry home and your little kick around regardless of year jen are you still there yeah (laughs) that was just all i had to say right there (laughs) i seriously thought (laughs) the computer had crashed (laughs) that was such an abrupt cut off Last time, last time I did text you in the chat that I was going to pee and you decided I died. So this time I didn't even bother. (laughs) That was just uh, waiting for someone else to remark. (laughs) We're worried about you, Jen. You haven't pulled any of us aside to let us know. Through our fingers like sand. I am, I am the oldest of us all. Samantha. Samantha won't even reach the Elden decrepit age of 34 until January. By the way, we need to plan our uh, Samantha birthday episode this year. But <laughs> my birthday episode is um, <laughs> leap year again. <laughs> you just want to fight with Sadie again. <laughs> Please. That would be great. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. No, we're not speaking of right now because we're speaking about the family stone and we have not even talked about Dermot Everett and how he was ludicrous. Okay, well, we kind of did. Yeah, we already decided. His thing was he just needs to go see a bunch of art and travel and find himself in nature and does not need to be in a relationship at all. Yeah, he should see no one. There's his bow wrapped up. Yeah. Uh, He should see no... So we've got... Well, we've got Rachel McAdams and um, fucking... 
Claire Danes. We have <laughs> Everett in therapy, Dermot in therapy, excuse me. Um, it, despite your aversion to Mark Brandanowitz, I think the Mark Brandanowitz Luke Wilson thing could work is just like bros being bros. You know, they could just Ooh. be hanging out, yeah. having beers, and then it just turns into like a hand job behind the bar, you know, just like just guys being guys, exploring each other's bodies. Like, <laughs> just it doesn't dudes have being to be gay. Dudes. It's just like, <laughs> you know what? Samantha, I'm fine with that. And Luke Wilson is here I'm and here. he's queer, queer and get, get over used it. To it. So yeah, that was, that was coming right out. in at the next Christmas. Yeah. We claim him as as a as a closeted character who comes out without people even realizing he's come out. Diane yes. Keaton wanted all of her sons to be gay. And at least she could get two of three that way. And who knows about Dermot Everett? After he goes and finds himself looking at art. True. Do some ayahuasca and then, you know, <laughs> unlocks him. Thanks. <laughs> Cut to Diane Keaton's ghost smiling as all of her sons turn gay. <laughs> like she's a Star Wars force ghost watching, watching Everett uh, bottom for the first time. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I no. mute myself oh, yes. forever. <laughs> oh, God. I did like Dermot crying, though. I thought that was a very affecting mm-hmm. moment where he realizes mom, uh, mom has cancer again and is mm-hmm. like losing it. And it's heartbreaking because he's like the oldest child who has it all together. And he cries in such a baby way. <laughs> It just it has so much more heart to it because I I think that rom coms in general have a lot of heart, you know, and they you know deal with emotions, which is why I really love them. But it's really just the emotions and the heart between the two characters that are falling in love. But this movie has just all of it. Like everyone is interconnected. Everyone gets a scene, like a one-on-one scene with every other person. And that's why I was so shockingly, like I I really liked it because it had so much more of those like interpersonal connections and communications that just made it so well. It was so good. I want, (laughs) I think that Carrie Bradshaw was the wrong Sex in the City character to plug in to this movie. I would love Samantha from Sex in the City <laughs> to show up oh my in the Family Stone yeah. and just wreak yeah. sexual <laughs> havoc on this family. Just like <laughs> slowly work her way through every every member. I, okay, so like Luke Wilson, they're at Kahoot Nannies or whatever the bar is, and he's like, "You have a freak flag. You're just afraid to let it fly." And it's Samantha from the Sex in the City sitting with her legs crossed across from him, like, "Oh, really?" honey and she like flips her cigarette like what kind of flag do you want to see fly tonight like <laughs> just like all the worst double entendres yeah <laughs> Uh, I got Kayla take the mic from us please um set us on a different course here <laughs> I feel like it's worth talking a little bit about Thad and Patrick who I think deserve more screen time. They get a little bit shifted in this movie, or shafted, I can't think of the right word right now. Um, Drifted and drafted. <laughs> yeah. Now that I'm, like, re-watching, re-watching as an adult, they have really nice, like, very subtle moments, like when they're walking, when it's snowing, 
um, and Patrick being in the kitchen for like most of the movie. Um, but I think that's something about the movie that I really respect is the fact that like the actors are signing throughout and that the actor yeah. who plays that like corrected their signing when they were filming. Um, and I think it's very funny to me that the family never corrects Meredith when she's just yelling at him. Like they just kind of let her make a fool of herself when, you know, he's deaf. He's not going to hear you if you yell louder. Like it doesn't change um, his experience hearing you, his experience with you. And so I just found them so, so interesting. And another thing I would change if I wrote this movie is just give them like maybe like one more scene because he's the only, he's the only sibling that like doesn't necessarily have uh, a time with like Diane Keaton besides like when he first gets there and they mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. have a moment together um, but like Susanna has the moment when she gets in bed with her and Dermot has the moment at the end and like Luke hugs her when he comes back from smoking weed he's the only one who doesn't really besides well he kind of does with the the dinner scene when she makes her like speech that like I think now actually really really works for the most part it's like emphasis on normalcy is probably the stickiest part for me like watching it now as a person in 2020 but just like the fierceness and how she's she's signing at him and also saying these words to him about how much she loves him and how he is better just as good and as better as like everyone else at the table I think Mm -hmm. that's their moment but it still made me wish they had like a one-on-one moment that she gets with with the other kids so I just a moment for Thad and Patrick is just all I think I would add right now. I will say that one cool Thad Patrick piece of trivia, one genuinely good thing that came out of my IMDb perusal was apparently that scene where they're walking outside in the snow, they don't subtitle it, but Patrick signs something like the moon is beautiful and Thad signs back, no, you are. And they just have it play out on screen with them signing without showing the viewer what they're saying and i i think it's a cool little i think it's cool to give them that kind of like private moment or like a moment Mm -hmm. that like a deaf viewer would like be able to recognize um Mm -hmm. yeah i thought that was sweet but more more of them and and give patrick more to do than just like helping out in the kitchen the whole movie I think that, yeah, and like I I had waited my turn all this time, well, again, after talking way too much before, but to say, I want to see that and Patrick's origin story as a rom-com. Oh, I know. They talked about how Amy, she was mean to Patrick, and like Thad was like, oh, that took forever. Like, "Mm, go back. Give me the the pre-family stone. I want to see Thad and Patrick. Did Patrick always know ASL? Like, did he learn it for Thad? Like, how did they get together? How are they so perfect and beautiful and have that moment in the moonlight and adopt a beautiful child at the end? I want to see that movie. The Family Pebble. And then the sequel to this one can be <laughs> The Family Boulder. And then it culminates Avengers uh, Endgame style. in Rolling like, Stone. <laughs> the Family Planet. The Family Planet. Oh, Jesus, Samantha. They better not make another sequel after that one. Yeah. Can't think of a bigger rock than a planet. I should never become a podcaster. (laughs) I mean, you could call it the Family Sand after their family crumbles after several generations. Oh, (laughs) Dark city. It has to restart. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the groundedness of the family stone. It's bringing out a dark side of me. I don't like it. 
just before the holidays too. Kayla, you were going to say how you wanted to rewrite the movie today. Yes. And I'm, I want to ask you yeah, about that. I think that Thad and Patrick is probably the biggest thing for me that I would maybe like expand on a little bit um, and very clearly make Rachel McAdams the lesbian woman that I very much think she is. Um, it's because like, it's interesting to me that she kind of disappears in the second half and then and then kind of gets Mark Brandanowitz, which we've already talked about. But I think that's something that I would I would shift a little bit like these these characters that to me like no offense to to Dermot Everett but like I think in thinking about this they're the most dad and like Amy are the ones who seem the most interesting and then are the most dynamic yeah. and I think Susanna would probably have a little bit more to do as well because clearly she's kind of like the peacemaker and the fact that she's always the one who kind of checks on um Meredith Carrie Bradshaw um, when she has her moments of running away and things like that. So I think those are, and it's interesting because the movie is like two hours long and like, it's really efficient in terms of what it does. But like you said earlier, like I could have spent another hour or another 45 minutes with these people. And maybe it means shifting around some of the like romance elements of it. And maybe it's just one romance. Maybe it's just like the Sarah Jessica Parker and Luke Wilson. And maybe there's a dash of Claire Dan um who's like so underutilized in this movie i feel like every time i see her i think of two movies when i see her in other things i always think of her performance in stardust and i always think of her in romeo and juliet because i just can't help but imagine her crying in that movie for some reason that's like always what pops in my head first and she kind of doesn't really get to do very much just like Susanna. she's very like here to be pretty and here to be sort of the like beacon for dermot so i think i would just shift shift some of these things around and spend a little bit more time with other characters but I think I think the genius of this movie is of course like Diane Keaton and Craig T. Nelson who I feel like I have only ever seen in roles kind of like the dad that he is in this movie and he always brings like a softness to them because I watched him on Parenthood and I feel like that's the mm, sim mm -hmm. a kind of similar character um I think Parenthood, he's a little bit more aggressive, but they're, they're so well cast and Diane Keaton is just such a, like, I don't know if this movie, it would probably still be as enjoyable, but it, I don't know if it would hit and those like emotional beats would hit as well if you didn't have Diane Keaton as the like heart and the like emotional anchor. So if in the event she still wanted to do this movie in my 2020 version of it, um, I would still have her in that role. But I think, I don't know, you all talked about this earlier was just being able to actually hear people talk. I think that's something that I feel really frustrated by with some things that I see um, recently is just the like not knowing how to choreograph scenes of people talking. And this movie does that really well. Um, and that's just what I want. I, that's why I, I would want to emphasize emphasize that again as well. But yeah, Rachel McAdams being gay is probably the biggest change that I would make. It's the most important change to me. And the best change. Because she embodied that energy yeah. so well. The best change, like, I just, like, this is the same year that she did a bunch of other stuff like The Notebook. She's so mm -hmm. straight in that movie, but in this movie she just has such, she ha it's, it's just energy and um, I feel like we that need could to also, witness it. That could come to the table with Diane Keaton at the horrible, the dinner scene where she's all like I wish all my boys would be gay and she was like, sorry girls and then Rachel McAdams could be back like well, sorry back mom I'm not a boy, <laughs> yes. but I'm queer as hell like, you know. Yes. 
And then that moment with the photo is even more beautiful. Like, just like the, the, I'll always be with you. That's what she said. Actually, Diane Keaton in that photo, by the way, the IMDb trivia page strikes again. But although not a pregnant Diane Keaton, because Diane Keaton has never given birth. IRL. Follow the child free. Yes. <sighs> I love Diane Keaton. She's a great Instagram follow. She's very funny on Instagram. Ooh, I need to hop on that. She's very herself. I feel like at some point she has started playing herself in most of the things that she's in, but I enjoy it and I will thrive in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I if I had a rich and varied acting career, I would hope that people hired me to just play like a cartoonish version of myself late in life (laughs) in fact I'm not an actor but I hope that people will somehow pay me to be a cartoonish version of myself later in life you can like start now I'm 35 I'm winking (laughs) at the microphone right now (laughs) just like if anyone wants to take me up on this (laughs) a a non-sexual only fans for eccentric old people (laughs) (laughs) yes Let me be your eccentric Uh, buddy. We'll wear weird hats and take a stroll around town when it's COVID safe. (laughs) Pay me to be weird. Pay me to be the woman who walks in the convenience store wearing like a pink furry sweatsuit and like green New Year's Eve goggles from 2015. Samantha, you act like this is strange. You were gonna and be yet, one of you those have walked people. in the convenience store with me. Oh yeah, <laughs> you, I mean, like, people send you know, me every the town green has like a local legend, time. you know, where it's like, oh, that's rock guy, or like, oh, <laughs> I forget what the one in my hometown was. I think it was someone who went around with like a wagon full of old newspapers or something and it's like oh yeah newspaper guy like you always saw him if you were on main street you're gonna be one of those people in like maybe 20 years i don't know what they call me yet but samantha i would be a little disappointed if there's not already some name for me out there (laughs) (laughs) but just because that i like to skate my grocery carts out of the store to my car that's all (laughs) i usually wear my very normal wear clothes (laughs) Um. <laughs> well guys should we should we rate i'm down i'm ready i'm not ready to go first but i am emotionally ready for the rating segment of the podcast i'm ready i'm ready go ahead jen i am ready to rate this movie four of the empty dosakis bottles sitting in front of luke wilson with a fifth just ready to be twisted off the top at any point in this movie honestly he had like dosakis must have paid for representation here it was around the same time that beer appeared so much in the l word like there were like <laughs> 75 Dos Equis bottles around Luke Wilson all the time. That's 150 Equis. <laughs> just those of you I will but. murder myself before I say another word. <laughs> but I give this movie a four or five, like still waiting for the next to be sipped because with Kayla's suggestions, it could be improved so much yeah yeah i will give it a hundred out of 150 eckies uh, <laughs> while we're on Wait, an train. That back. <laughs> <laughs> um that's a two-thirds uh i re- i liked it but i thought it got a little too schmaltzy by the end and i will use the remainder of my time to defend mark brandanowitz and parks and recreation <laughs> uh. part <laughs> 
He was the only thing grounding that show in any sort of reality. This is not a filibuster. This is not a filibuster. Fairy tale. Get off. Of, get yeah, off. Fuck that okay. guy. He can fuck right off of Parks and Rec and get out all our lives. Off. Sorry, Samantha. I resign. <laughs> We'll argue about this again next podcast. Or come to our Discord, Discord for Mark Brandanowitz course. You'll start a thread right there, Samantha, right now. I'll start I'm, a separate room I'm in our Discord there. for Mark Brandanowitz. And Whisk. it will at this point just be me. Oh no, I'm but that's right all in you there need, to argue Samantha. against. <laughs> Um, well, I, I will, I will give the Family Stone four um, mushrooms out of five, five out, <laughs> four allergy-inducing mushrooms out of five because oh, I, I, I get that you want was, Everett the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I I, do, I I similarly to Samantha and Jen, I, I feel like it kind of fell apart a little bit at the end. It wasn't quite as compelling. Um, and I had some beef with the relationship between Everett and Julie. Um, and Amy wasn't a lesbian. So have to take away a point for those things. But otherwise, great. Loved it. <laughs> I think I'm going to agree with most of you and give it four of Sybil's mugs out of five. <laughs> um, partially because I just have such a fascination with it. And I think part of it I'm realizing now is because it has like things that it does that remind me of screwball comedies from like the 30s and 40s um, that I think are super interesting. But as Sadie said, and as we all agree, Amy is not a lesbian. And some of the rhombus, romance rhombus choices could have been slightly different and sad and practical to serve more time. So there we go. Four of Sybil's mugs for me. Yes. Excellent object choice. And Kayla, where can people find you, support your work, keep up with what you're doing and saying about the Family Stone, among many other topics? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at, at K Myers, K-A-Y-M-Y-E-R-S underscore. Um, I tweet about many things like the Family Stone and um, recent Riverdale, but I have not watched Riverdale recently, oh, but, but I'll come back to it. When the next it. season comes on. Mm, I can't wait for your Twitter. Yeah, there's some zombies apparently. I don't know what that means. (laughs) Are we going to get to know the highs and lows of zombie football? I I sure hope so. Oh my God. Jen, what should people do to our grubby, filthy little podcast? They will before you start demeaning our podcast, just like it likes. Ugh. Y'all, we, you said we would talk on the podcast tonight instead of our Discord about which characters we were from the Family Stone. And I said immediately, obviously, Samantha is the mom, Diane Keaton. I am the dad. Kayla, I'm sorry uh, if you haven't seen this yet, that we, but we must very accurately assign you that you are the Esme from Twilight. Very beautiful <laughs> mom friend who, like, you know, is there and cuddles the mom when it's time. Yeah, but, genuinely. Like, sits on the couch and unfortunately... <laughs> It's just like watching the other family members <laughs> cause drama. <laughs> you know, this that's accurate. 
That's I I support this choice. I think that is a really accurate choice. I think so. But before we stop recording tonight, we have to decide who is Sadie in this movie. I proposed Luke Wilson, Samantha. which Sadie I now know <laughs> would hate. <laughs> I think it's fair, actually. <laughs> I think it's true. I think you are Luke Wilson. Or you're Esme's kid. You're the, you're the little girl. Yes, you're the kid. Oh, you're, you're cuddled up next to Kayla while they're all just like chasing each other around the house. Yes, like, the we're just fuck? watching it all unfold. <laughs> I do have to say that last week in my little video teaser that I make for these episodes of The Holiday, I I paired Sadie's voice with the little girl who makes the blanket for (laughs) to surprisingly like endearing comedic effect. So I will once again assign Sadie the the youngest uh, role in the in the movie. Thank you. I love those, by the way. Those are so great. I love the video previews. Samantha's a genius. <laughs> Not true. Uh, je- and- no, that's a higher level than genius. It's genius. <laughs> oh, it's like that Dermot is how and, I and Samantha. Yes. <laughs> you get higher the more we mispronounce the vowel. It just the more uh- vowels you put into the pronunciation, the higher the level. <laughs> And now you want me to tell everybody about where to find our podcast like they haven't already listened all this time. But if they're still unaware, they better go find us at why. Oh, excuse me. No, that's our Twitter. You should see the other guy is our name on Spotify and Apple Podcasts where you should go leave us a five star rating. And if you want to talk to us, go to find us on Twitter at YSSTOG where we are most responsive or email us long form at YSSTOGpodcast at Gmail, which Sadie checks like once a month, but we get so delighted. It's like an event when we find an email, we're like, whoa. So we get really excited about that. But now, as of this episode, we have whole new ways to contact us, as we talked about at the beginning. So if you go find us on, what's our Patreon, Samantha? Patreon.com, which for those of you who, like me, are new to this word, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, like patron with an extra vowel, <laughs> which makes it more g g g Exactly. So patreon.com slash Y-S-S-T-O-G or yeast hog. Okay, Samantha, this is a fun joke for this podcast, but we're cutting it off after this because I don't want to be calling us yeast hog forever. at Samantha sobbing over a yeast so, hog. If you want to roll in the mud with the yeast hoggers, uh, <laughs> come pay five dollars and join us on Discord. That's our fandom or the yeast hog. <laughs> oh Jesus! No, let's not do that to them. <laughs> Did we already just by naming ourselves this? I don't. I know. can't breathe. Kayla will ask you after recording stops. Thank oh, you, Kayla, God. for joining the silliness. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I love being here. Yay! <laughs> Thank you.
you probably think Herbert Hoover's gay, right? <laughs>